I'm Liz with TeachStone, and this is Teaching with Class. Today, I talk with Mary, who, after a PhD and years as a class observer, went into the classroom for the first time as a preschool teacher and gets observed for the first time. She shares what she's learned about being an observer and coaching from being on the other side. And anyone who's ever been a new teacher will certainly be able to relate to her struggles. One of the many fun parts of being the community manager is getting to talk to people who use class and hear their stories. And recently, a colleague of mine told me about Mary. And after speaking to her briefly, I knew I wanted others to hear Mary's story as well. Uh, and so Mary was kind enough to join us, even though she was struggling with laryngitis. I hope you enjoy her story. I left the classroom in 2015 to finish my PhD. When I finished that, I wasn't ready to go back in the classroom. So I started doing a class. I got certified in toddler and pre-K class and started doing class observations for the state as an independent third party observer. And on a full-time basis, I did as many observations as I could while I was teaching some university courses too. The upside to that is that I had flexible time. The downside is that I was not in the classroom continuing my, continuing to contribute to my retirement system and all of that. So um, after three years of that, and I, I um, did over 400 observations in those three years. I did it on a full-time basis every day. Um, and, you know, there was high, we, I know we do 80% reliability for class and they pushed there are third party evaluators to have a 90% reliability rate. So we, we really um, had to maintain high integrity and reliability with that. Last year, toward the end, I decided I was going to go back into the classroom. And because I was so drawn to class in the state of Louisiana, the only grade that is uh, held accountable by class standards is pre-k they are doing pilots for kindergarten now and so i decided that i would get certified in pre-k three early childhood and go back into the classroom what i wanted to do was bring the best practices that i had seen over my three years of, uh, as an observer into a pre-k classroom and preschool ever at that point or you had never taught preschool my experience was third grade through 12th and college and graduate teaching okay so you know i i, I like kids you know i mean, I'm just i was like what are they going to do if they, what am i going to do when they wet their pants or vomit you know it's just kind of a which um, <laughs> yeah which it, and it has since then so um so I went in and kind of started the, the, the district administrator and I worked out um, an arrangement. I would be teaching in a classroom and she wanted me to continue as an instructional coach for pre-K and kindergarten. And also, you know, so I run kind of the, the professional learning community uh, class, uh, meetings and, and supervise the other pre-Ks. So, um, which... You know, when you're doing both, when I 
doing both now for this whole semester. And I feel like when I'm doing one really well, I'm not doing the other one well. And, and so it's been a constant balancing act, you know, kind of when everything's going smoothly in centers and I can look at my para and I'm like, I'm going to dash out and go do a little walkthrough to see what the other teachers are doing and check on things. So, you know, pulling time away from being in the classroom with my students has been a frustrating part of that to be able to have to leave. It was a steep, steep learning for teaching pre-K after teaching all these other grades. Half of my students had never been to any kind of daycare or anything. So, you know, there was a lot of crying and a lot of you know, just not knowing how to do anything. And it took me, I was learning too. <laughs> so um, I'd seen a lot of practices. So I brought a lot of practices and I was very fortunate to have dear friends who were, um, early childhood professors. In fact, probably in the second week, maybe even the third or fourth day, I called one and said, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I, they, I don't, I can't control them. I was trying to do centers the first day because, you know, I, I had in my head, I had all, all that class, those class expectations in my head and knew what it was supposed to look like, but didn't know how to get there. You knew what it was supposed to look like three months in. Right. Not day one. Yeah. And I will say this, that not every day looks like I wanted to look. Today did. Today mm -hmm. did. We do have these magical days when I look at my parent, I'm like, this is what it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. This is what it's supposed to be. And, um, it took a it took a while to get there. You know, I, I, I mean, we could not do centers the first week. Um, the center tags were just, you know, put away for a while. And it was really basic. And, and I was very grateful that I had people to call. I can imagine first-year teachers who did not have the resources that I had to know what it was supposed to look like. And, and then even to be able to call someone, you know, even I have several people who I called you know, who are experts in the field, who've written books on this stuff. And I said, oh my God, what do I do? You know, and they're like, this is what you do. You don't try to start that in the beginning. You don't try to start that in the beginning. As a matter of fact, um, the state has started um, doing these third party evaluations. They've started, instead of starting in August, I think they start maybe mid-September now, because we start early, early August, maybe the first week of August for school. So that gives teachers six weeks, which is barely enough to get grounded and get kids in the routine. Uh, so, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've taught before. So I was always really strong on routine. Pre-K routine's very different. Yeah. And I can say today, they will run the class. You for, they tell me, you forgot to do this, you forgot to do that. You know, can I ring the chime? They're, everybody's noisy. <laughs> so... That's awesome. So you touched on this a little bit already, but I'd love for you to just explain more how you made the decision to go back into the classroom and how you decided to go from being a class observer to being observed by the class tool. Okay. Um, I love a project <laughs> and, I love, and I love a challenge. You know, and, I mean, that's just, that's really part of what it is. It's just this curiosity, this, this, you know, I'm holding, you know, people are being held accountable by my numbers, mm -hmm. my numbers, my scores, people's careers are being held. 
under examination. And I wanted to put myself to the same test. Yeah. It's like, can I do this? Because, you know, all through, all through school and graduate school, I always, like, you know, I had a real strong theory background. But even in my theoretical classes, my question is always, what does this look like in practice? Mm-hmm. What does this look like in practice? So I think that that's just one step more for me to here I am looking at it. What does it look like when I, I personally put this into practice um, and learning that? Because, you know, I was coaching teachers on this, about, you know, on how to improve their class scores, you know, well, I would, I, and I don't even like to say that because we're improving instruction. Yeah, improving our interactions with students, not improving scores, even though, you know, I mean, a lot of times districts are like, we want to see score improvement. Well, yeah, but we want to see it every day. You know, I'm asking them to do things that, and now I know are very hard to do, very hard to do. And honestly, I was not nervous at all from my first observation. You know, I, I, I know that it is a snapshot of what's going on in the classroom. I was a little nervous, but I knew the process, I guess. And Tell me about um, your interest in class. Why, why focus on, on improving interactions? Why focus on class with this PhD in, in sort of a different background originally? My classes in my graduate school were mostly literacy classes. Yeah. Uh, when I went to do my dissertation, I really became, I took a class in complexity theory uh, which is understanding uh, social systems as natural systems, as living systems. That's the most simplified version of complexity theory I can, I can get. But it's, it's understanding that every learning experience, every learner, every learning environment is organic and different. And, and complexity theory in education focuses on generative learning that learning from the bottom up. And, and while I was working on that, I was working in a, a different district. I was working in a system where there was a lot of top-down initiatives, forcing teachers to do this and forcing teachers. It was not child-centered. Mm-hmm. It was child-directed or student-directed. So um, when I started doing class, I started understanding that class values those same things or prioritizes the same kinds of interactions that I would want to see in a classroom where generative learning is happening. Mm. What, when, when things are happening where I know that my classroom and, and, and I'll backtrack a little bit when the administ- when, when the administration of my district hired me, the purpose was to create a model classroom for our district. And so when I know that our classroom is operating in that mo- as a model classroom, those are the days where I say, this is it, this is it. And I'm seeing this kind of, you know, the kids call me Dr. M, Dr. M, Dr. M, and they're so excited about their own discoveries. And then we sit down and talk about it and how, thing- how they got there. You know, it took a while to get, I-, I had a couple of parents take kids out of my classroom. 
because early on they felt like it looked, this looks like daycare hmm. because we weren't doing enough rote learning. Wow. You know, they were expecting flashcards and things like that. Yeah. I do think it's, it's especially hard with such a young age where they're not able to come home and communicate at great lengths of what it is they're learning and what they're doing, that it feels like everything then becomes product based. Mm -hmm. um, if I don't have something to send home with them, it doesn't look like they learned anything. And any you know good teacher knows that there's no worksheet that shows the amount of learning that can happen in a day. And there's no perfect art project that's gonna demonstrate everything that a child experiences while doing art but it feels like you have to have something to demonstrate it's hard right and 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 getting um other teachers and that's one of the things you know with coaching helping other teachers understand that we don't have to constantly demonstrate through product mm -hmm. yeah and we don't have to demonstrate through perfect product and helping teachers understand the difference between crafts and creating. Yeah. Open-ended activities. Um, you know, that's been a real challenge. Yeah. Because I think, you know, because Pinterest, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of real cute things out there and, and, and those products, you know, that your teachers really want to be able to send those kinds of products home because they're cute. One of the things we were doing yesterday and today in my classroom, and including with parents in there, it is messy. And that's, I'm okay with messy. I've always been okay with messy, but not all teachers are okay with messy. Yeah. Not all teachers are okay with think something looking half finished and the child saying, it's finished. Done. Yeah. No, it's finished. I'm done. Or I'm not interested in it anymore. So we were painting pine cones, which means it's messy. Even when I'm hanging strings on them, the kids are painting the strings and I have it all over me. The kids have it everywhere, you know. And, you know, I, I told parents at the beginning of the year, you know, I said, you send them to me clean in the mornings and I send them home dirty. And that's how you know they had a great day. Yeah, so. As a parent of a preschooler, I love the days that my children come home filthy. I, you know, to me, that's like, oh, they must have had a good day. And when the teacher apologizes, I'm like, please don't, like, you know, apologize the day they come home looking perfectly, you know, the way I sent them. Then I'm kind of worried. What did they do all day? Not all parents understand that at first. Yeah. Right? We've had so many conversations about regard. Regard comes up a lot in the, the arts and crafts of you have to let that be, be theirs. And that creating under concept development doesn't mean everybody creates the same butterfly. Right. And, and, and there are times when we have created together, there's still choice in it. When we, we did a unit on uh, Eric Carl, so they created collage uh, on top uh, with tissue paper and egg cartons. And then they did a coffee filter butterfly where they colored the butterfly so yeah they were all butterflies but the children did their own thing to them and so that you know i mean and that is much less open-ended than i even normally would like and then the other times are here's paints here's paper here's paints here's pine cones here's glitter glue you know 
go for it. Yeah. You know, so, or, or just an art center where you can pick any kind of paper, any kind of medium that you want to do. And we have those days, you know, lots of those days. And that's kind of the normal everyday art center for mine. I have a wonderful assistant, wonderful assistant. He's a, a man who's um, a few years older than I am and he's retired and now he's working as an assistant in our schools or substitute, or he was working as a substitute and I kind of requested him for my assistant. and you know, to tell him when the kids are cleaning their centers, I'm like, let them do it, let them do it, kind of watch, but let them do it, you know, you might give some suggestions, because my thing with regard is that it's, it's self, it builds self-efficacy, you know, just kids need to know that they can solve their problems, and solve, clean up their own messes, they need to know that they can have agency in their even that little world of a center, our small world of a classroom, they need to understand that they have agency and that other people respect that agency. Mm -hmm. So, and that people believe in them. We say a lot of times, we say, we say, I know you can do it. And I'll say, oh, that dramatic play center looks like a bomb went off, you know, but I know that this person is an expert in cleaning that center and I know that they'll come over there and help. You know, so I do a lot of that. How has coming into the classroom changed the way you have coaching conversations? Or do you look back at observations you've done um, differently now? Or, or has any of that changed? Uh, yeah, I, I now can give actual examples of ways I solved problems. Mm. Or examples of what I'm doing. You know, if I'm... I'm sitting in a classroom with a teacher while my kids are napping, giving feedback on her school. And I can point to the things in my room and give examples of that is close-ended, this is open-ended. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and they can come to a model classroom. And not that everything is modeled, but they can come into my classroom, the way it's set up, and, and the, the processes that I have in place and copy those. Mm. They, they can say, what do you do with this, in this, for this? Mm -hmm. um, what do you do? And that's under ILF and productivity. You know, what do you do for this? Mm -hmm. uh, and they can come in and look. And a lot of them are copying that. You know, those, the going back or, or asking for copies of my center signs or, or, you know, or things just, there's little things that are happening. What do you do for this? And I ask them sometimes, what do you do for this? You know, one of those, one of the things we had to uh, work on our students, um, the district is a high poverty district and our students were very like a hundred percent low in the TS gold language uh, standards lower than than literacy or math right mm -hmm. language which is pretty normal for a high poverty school district and so our number one goal was get these kids talking and so um, i've created a monster with that too <laughs> talk a lot which is like great but also you know when do i get to when do i get to give instructions sometimes but um and so just being able to video my kids, I, one of the things I did early on 
um, and I would recommend this if you're working on a model classroom is to make sure you get those video uh, releases, media releases from parents early on so that, because I feel confident, you know, I can take out my phone and video partner sharing when it, you know, okay, this is what this looks like. And look at all these conversations that are going on because kids need to talk more then I'm available to talk to every single student. More than my assistant is available to talk to every student, they need to be talking to each other too. And so that gets, you know, asking kind of that open-ended question of the day, that how and why question. And they may be answering that question or they may not, but that's okay. They're talking to each other, mm-hmm. looking in each other's eyes and using complete sentences and videoing that and being able to share that with you know, when we start talking about how do you get them talking, thing you can do if you're doing whole group and you turn and let them talk, you know, so that helped with uh, productivity uh, transitions. You know, kids were not waiting while I'm asking one at a time. And we do a little bit of that, but there's, you know, these kind of one at a time questions and answers where you've got one giving you a nice long feedback loop and 16 waiting for that whole time. In this case, everybody can be talking during that time and not just waiting. What's been maybe the hardest thing in the transition and and what were you most surprised by in your first time being observed? The hardest thing was having the patience, several students who um, were not adapting to our routines easily. And we're displaying some behaviors that I honestly did not know how, I knew how to handle that in high school, mm-hmm. but how do you handle that in a four, with a four-year-old? Mm-hmm. And having to say things many times before they hear you, you know, just, and you know, patience, you know, just, you know, really, um, I'm really grateful. I have an assistant who says, I, I'm like, I feel so impatient. And he's like, you don't sound impatient. You sound very patient. I'm like, okay, good. Cause they don't, they don't hearing how impatient I sound. They probably do hear it some days. What I don't want to say chaos cause it's not real chaos. The, the difference in activity level in a pre-K classroom and other grades. Yeah. Well, and, and you're teaching everything for the first time, you know, and so thinking about how long it is to build every single routine of how to hang up your jacket, how to hang up your bag, how to sit in your chair, how to sit on the rug, how to move from the chair to the rug. And and none of those are going to be yeah. smooth the first time. And so it's the teaching routines and going through those routines. That was the hardest part is moving through those first six weeks, I think. Yeah get kids and I mean I'm so happy there were children who just were so quiet who couldn't even hear them talk if they would talk come out of their shell and start speaking and hearing their voices you know in the mornings when I say is such and such here and they're like yes I am here they're so proud and I'm oh I love that nice loud clear voice that's so great so um the thing that most surprised me with my observation, uh, that question, um, was my score in concept development. 
was medium. It was a three, um, which is was my lowest. But I really, um, you know, I even when I was coaching, I was telling teachers, I was, I always would tell teachers, look, your best scores are going to be in centers. And of course, my observer came really early, so she got to see our wonderful routine where they come in and select books, and they are all reading, read not reading, but reading with quotes in the mornings and, and these they're having these wonderful conversations talking about their books and growling like the animals. We just finished an animal unit and um, just uh, these wonderful conversations that they're having. She got to see those, but she saw a lot of whole group instead of center time. And, and, you know, I mean, I needed to coach myself in that, you know, just to move, move on into center time a little more quickly do you have a coach now that you are working with? No. Interesting. Yeah. So um, this person, the person who observed me, uh, I'll get feedback, use her to kind of help with that. I, I did have a fellow observer who, in an unofficial capacity, come to my class about six weeks in to give me feedback on what I was doing. It was just, she did like two cycles, you know, she didn't have a whole lot of time, maybe even three. She just came in and she kind of said, okay, strengths and weaknesses, you know, we kind of talked about, about that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I have a community of observers who, who will do that for me. So I may actually, I want to be coached. I need to be coached in instructional support. I think, I think I've got the language modeling, I think especially that concept development, I think I want to see where it is I was missing opportunities for analysis and reasoning. You know, my observer uh, did give me some feedback that analysis, she did not hear a lot of analysis and reasoning. So I need to see where I missed, I want to see where I miss and missing opportunities for analysis and reasoning. Is there anything that you feel like you wish was different in the way your observation works now that you're on the receiving end of it? Is there, is there some like tip you have for, for observers or coaches out there of how to make it a better experience for the, the teacher? My observer stayed in the room and she probably, I, I, I think she did that because I told her my kids are really sensitive to people coming into the room. Mm -hmm. They just kind of, they have not developed that self-control, which is their four, you know? So when, when a, another adult comes into the room, especially if I'm turning to interact with that other adult, yeah. there's a lot that starts happening, you know, a lot of stuff. And then getting back on track is hard. So she did stay in the room. So I didn't know when she was scoring and when she wasn't scoring. So that kind of would... And I, so I, I'm understanding as a teacher being observed now, I'm understanding the importance of, of knowing when my 20 minutes is over. So why, why would that be important to you? Um, be, well, it's not important during the observation, but it's important to me when I look at my scores, yeah. the cycles of my score. So I'm seeing, you know, the times, but I, know what you know what I'm, do you understand what I'm saying it's like 
when I think about the, the, a capsule of time to match a capsule of time here. I think it's not important during there. I'm just teaching no matter what. At least I would know to match which cycle with which. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I wonder, um, in your example, since you have you videos so regularly, if it would be meaningful to you to have the observer video oh. during your observation? Because it sounds like the students wouldn't think much of that. And then you'd be able to look back and say, okay, from, you know, here's the 20 minutes she scored this, and here's the 20 minutes she scored that, and you could see exactly what they're referring to. All right, so my last question. Are you going to stay in the classroom? Um, I'll tell you this. I don't think I am. I am going to stay in public education, without a doubt. I value this time in the classroom and I really was doing it. So I get that experience. It has been invaluable to be able to be in the classroom and have that, the practice, mm -hmm. be able to put into practice the things that I've seen that are great. This has been such a fascinating conversation and, um, I hope you'll maybe check back in with us in April or May. Uh, I'd love to hear how, you, how things look in the second semester um, and maybe how your second observation goes. But thank you so much for, for being willing to share your time and, and your experience. It's, it's always neat to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Teaching with Class. If you have a story to share, let us know. Log into the class learning community to continue the conversation, then tell us how we're doing and what topics you would like covered next.